Hi, I'm Kelsey Zeiser. Welcome to What's the Story? This is a short podcast from Light Reading, where we take a step back from the most significant topics in telecom and tell you the latest news, how we got here, what it all means, and what to expect next. Today, I'm talking with Jeff Baumgartner about why some streaming services are now offering ad-supported versions. We'll also discuss what the future of Doxis looks like and what cable operators think about growth in the fixed wireless access market. Well, thanks for joining me on What's the Story, Jeff? Well, thanks, Kelsey. Happy to be here with you electronically. Yes, very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I was looking at your article recently about um, some updates on uh, dual revenue streams for streaming services, in particular Disney Plus. So tell us a little bit about why Disney Plus is adding an ad-supported version and kind of what that means for the streaming services market in general. Sure, yeah. There's kind of this, like, one cannot live on subscriptions alone in the streaming business, you know, these like days, that. like the attitude is kind of, you know, definitely shifted in that direction with a lot of them, um, especially the the top premium ones. Um, I think I think there's an there's an opportunity, or they see an opportunity to kind of broaden uh, the base a bit with the lower cost ad supported tiers and and capture consumers that you know were you know, reticent to to pay for the, the basic subscription or they did and they churned out, but, you know, maybe they can live with ads if the, the price is a little bit lower and, uh, you know, it, it, Disney, as you said, you know, they, they're going to do an ad supported version in the U S later this year and follow on in other markets. Uh, I think in 2023 and beyond. And uh, you know, it really follows a trajectory of, you know, what a lot of others are doing. You've got uh Peacock, HBO Max, Paramount Plus, Disney, even the Disney-owned Hulu service with their, you know, the SVOD. Um, the, the caveat is that there's been, with some of them, like some restrictions uh, with the ad-supported version. You know, like Peacock's completely free service has a much smaller library. And then um, Paramount Plus has an essential tier that's ad-supported, but you don't get access to the uh, the local live CBS stations. And, uh, you know, so we're kind of keeping an eye out on like what the, the holdouts are going to do. You know, you've got Netflix, Apple TV plus Amazon prime, you know, they don't have any ad supported version yet. Uh, Amazon has the, uh, the IMDB TV service, which is completely free and ad supported. So, you know, they're kind of in the, the ad game with that particular service. Okay, yeah. So be be interesting to see how things change because it it looked like um, Disney was were they struggling a little bit with their revenue and and that's kind of why they moved to it. Or do you think it was to um, just make them more, um, uh, I suppose, uh, appetizing to different um, different groups that maybe don't want to pay the full price? Yeah, there was a quarter where, where uh, things had kind of slowed down a, a little bit, and I think in the last quarter they just reported it bounced back pretty good. Um, but you know, when they made this, when they confirmed this and announced it, uh, you know, they they were pretty clear that the ad supported version is going to factor into their uh, their big forecast in the coming years. Um, so you know, clearly, they, I think they felt that uh, you know having that ad supported layer will make it a little bit easier for them to 
to hit these targets. You know, they've been doing pretty well, but yeah, it's been a little lumpy. Um, I think they're mm-hmm. hoping that uh, uh, things will uh, be a little more consistent, you know, once the kind of content funnel is a little more consistent as the, uh, the pandemic allows, you know. Yeah, and maybe just uh, maybe they need a few more spinoffs of like The Mandalorian or something to help. <laughs> right? Yeah, they got the that book of Boba Fett. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, you know, I, I kind of pop my head in there once in a while. You know, it's like I, I, I a different thing altogether. But uh, I mean, I, I I feel like I just have way too many subscriptions and and you know so much content out there, some really good content, but I just can't get to it all unless I just wanted to become, you know, like a, a binge out hermit or something. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. So. Not get anything else done. Uh, yeah. well, well, thanks for the update on, on, um, you know, streaming services wanted to switch gears a little bit and, uh, get an update from you on the future of Doxis. So mm-hmm. you were recently about, um, cable one and their thoughts on Doxis. And also we'll talk a little bit about fixed wireless act fixed sorry fixed wireless access activity <laughs> that's a mouthful easy for um, you to say but, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah let's start with doxis what what what's going on there uh yeah it's been interesting to kind of see how it's evolving i mean the the future there is a little bit hazier i think than it's been with past generations of doxis you know instead of uh more of a straight line you know from doxis 20 to 30 to 31 uh, we're starting to see some operators take different paths or uh, maybe multi- uh, like a different path or, or multiple paths on what to do going forward on the access network. Um, you know, I, I think there's some, some definite truths that have kind of emerged. I mean, all new builds and greenfields are definitely fiber of the premises. Um, you know, there's no reason to build new HFC given the cost and performance trade-offs. Um, you know, uh, there's going to, of course, there's still going to be some that are going to go, you know, or upgrade their networks from 3.1 to 4.0 in the coming years. Um, you know, we're, some are going to go faster than others. Um, I, I get the sense that um, there, there's going to be quite a few that are going to kind of squeeze everything they can get out of the 3.1 network and, you know, go to like high splits to expand the upstream, you know, before moving to 4.0 or possibly fiber to the premises. Um, in, in that case, you know, they, they have a few years of runway, you know, just kind of based on the, uh, the consumer demands, you know, I mean, we do see what they're kind of battling with right now uh, with the telcos and some of these fiber to the prem services, everyone's kind of shifting to do multi-gig symmetrical and uh, you know, uh, definitely not as much of a challenge with, 4.0, but, uh, you know, the question is, you know, do consumers really need it or not? And and maybe they don't right now, but, you know, it is kind of a marketing game. You know, more is better is kind of the the thought. Um, and then, you know, the, the other thing that's happening is, you know, we're seeing some overlaying and upgrading the fiber to the prem and kind of skipping 4.0 entirely. Uh, we're seeing hmm. that with, you know, Altice USA here and uh, Virgin Media O2 in the UK are good examples. Um, like VMO2 is going to probably run, sounds like they're going to kind of run parallel networks where they're going to keep customers on HFC and then use the fiber to the prem upgrade overlay to kind of support maybe business users and other 
consumers that are kind of power users to, and that'll kind of help balance the load. You know, you're not going to overload the HFC network. If you have a customer that's, that's uh, wild with data, it's like, Hey, give them fiber to the prem, but don't kill the, or, you know, don't get rid of the HFC network. And, okay. and uh, you know, it's been weird because uh, you know, I think that the knee jerk reaction to all this activity and some of the uncertainty is like, Hey, you know, is Docs is doomed? Is Docs mm-hmm. is dead? Uh, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't really think of it that, that it's going to go to that extreme, at least not in the near term. You know, the 4.0 is going to happen. The size of the market from a footprint perspective will definitely be smaller mm-hmm. than it was with prior generations of Doxis. Um, you know, and then someday down the road, I mean, everything will eventually go fiber to the prem. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's many years away, I think. Okay, so Doxis isn't doomed just yet <laughs> it's uh definitely not doomed yet uh it's kind of like hey stay tuned you know ask me in 10 years uh, <laughs> you know where things are but i think that yeah. the path forward for the next uh five to seven years uh for a subset of the hfc networks out there is uh going to go in that direction yeah so sounds like it's still got a good amount of runway um and then looking at uh fwa what is uh what's going on there um and the you know cable industry's thoughts on it um is this an opportunity for cable operators does this present new competition where are their heads at on that yeah it's almost like the way it feels like it's evolving the way that 5g did in terms of how the cable industry views it you know kind of this friend and enemy frenemy or you know frenemy, you know that term yeah, yeah. so competition yeah exactly um i think it's uh friend and foe but um you know it's sizing up to be i think a good alternative um in some rural areas as well as even some dense environments and situations where uh you know it might be very expensive or uh, time consuming to reach an area with with a new wireline fiber build out um, but, you know, we are seeing some momentum um, from the, uh, the mobile operators that are focused on F- FWA. Um, you know, Moffitt Nathanson estimated about 38% of the, uh, the U.S. broadband net, I- net ads in the fourth quarter of last year were uh, fixed wireless. You know, that's primarily Verizon and T-Mobile. Um, you know, I mean, they're going to stay after it. Uh, but I think one of the big questions hovering over it is... Um, whether it's possible to apply enough spectrum and capacity to fix wireless access to kind of make it uh, truly scale up and, and be competitive is with something like HFC or fiber, you know, to a relative degree. Um, you know, the other issue is that uh, the operators have to think about it because they get more money, more per megabit with mobile service than they do with wireless, you know, so they have kind of a, a balancing act that, that they got to deal with um, and uh, maybe put some limits, you know, on the number of FWA subscribers you can have on a given area. So, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, as far as like the way the cable industry is thinking about it, um, they don't seem to be overly concerned okay. about the competitive impact. I mean, they're not ignoring it, but uh, yeah, I think it was, re- you know, just recently, Brian Roberts, Comcast called it a quote unquote inferior product right. <laughs> with respect to performance versus HFC or, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, I think from a apples to apples comparison on 
on uh, performance. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely has, you know, there's some truth there. But then you also see um, Mediacom, Cable One, getting active with FDWA to kind of extend their to adjacent areas. So, you know, when I kind of combine everything or, or kind of put it all together, you know, it's pretty clear that uh, fixed wireless can be a very useful tool, um, but it's just not necessarily the best tool for every job. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it has its, its place and, uh, you know, in, in certain areas. And, and if you're like T-Mobile, it's like, well, I don't have a wireline network. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're really going to uh, focus on that. And it'll just be interesting to see how much, how many subscribers they can get. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier, what kind of limitations they have to put on in terms of, uh, you know, the amount of customers they can put on in a given area. Right. Well, definitely look forward to um, following your coverage on that and, and seeing how things evolve. And, you know, maybe if Brian Roberts gets a different, um, you know, if he feels a little differently in the future about it. <laughs> yeah, we'll know more in a year and see how, you know, how they're, how FWA is performing for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. Sure thing, Kelsey. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Jeff, for taking the time to talk today. Thanks to our amazing producer, Pierre Landriot, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more interviews and insights from the team. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.